0: Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where jiu-jitsu practitioners open their minds to new ideas and concepts about personal development, entrepreneurship, jiu-jitsu, and life. Our mission is to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way to support you during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas.
1: Welcome to episode 114. This is the first podcast of 2021. And made a few changes, a few adjustments with the podcast if you have been listening to the podcast in a while, you probably noticed a different intro, so I updated that. We're still going to be interviewing entrepreneurs, business owners, athletes, but also practitioners that will be sharing their stories. Always with the intention of inspiring, impacting, improve your life in some way. And if you notice, too, usually I put a title for the podcast, and now I'm going to be using just the name of the guest, if he's the owner or, or he or she is the owner of a business. And then I'll help to promote the business as well. Also, something that I haven't been doing is the final thoughts. Even though I love that, it's very time-consuming. And I also have a Brazilian podcast. So it's tough to do both. And since the pandemic, I've been teaching a lot more. So that's taken a lot more of my time. So that's something that I haven't been putting in the time. Because it's very meaningful to me to create the final thoughts. So I don't want to do kind of like, eh, I'll just kind of put something out there. So I would rather not put anything out and actually create something that it's just okay. So whenever I have the time and I feel like inspired to create a content for the final thoughts, and then I'll do so. And today we have Thomas Rodzinski, and he's a second degree black belt in jiu-jitsu, the owner of Road Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Chicago. And he talks about his transition from the corporate world to being a business owner on his own Jiu-Jitsu Academy. He also talked about training with Carson Gracie Sr. in early 2000s, which is pretty cool. And also he's the host of the podcast Roll Radio. So if you have any guest suggestion, you can send me a message. Check out my Instagram at Gustavo Dantas BJJ. And now enjoy the interview with Thomas right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Uss. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers, as a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jiu-jitsu-tribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Thomas Rodzinski. Thomas is a second degree black belt in Jiu Jitsu and a black belt in judo. In 2015, he opened Road Jiu Jitsu Academy, Orland Park, Illinois. He did this while maintaining a job, getting married, and having two children. Thomas left the corporate life in 2017 and has built Role into one of the fastest growing jiu-jitsu academies in the Chicagoland area. He continues teaching his students and helping the worldwide jiu-jitsu community via his podcast, The Role Radio, as well as recording videos for the online library, Role TV. Thomas, welcome to the podcast.
2: Gustavo, thank you for having me great to be here
1: yes sir so we're recording this in january 2021 so what's what's the scenario in your area right now with uh, all the madness and covid and everything
2: yeah it's been it's been rough it's been a rough year um you know i think looking holistically at 2020 and the beginning of 21 i think we similar to the rest of the country kind of coming out of out of this unknown, if you will, I'm not really sure if you are. If we are past the, um, the 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 COVID situation, but I think we are in the point where where we, we there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and we kind of can start slowly start planning things, you know, and and see how how things will unfold in the near future. So you know, we there, there were the hard times in the beginning. Now of 2020, where I think majority of the country was was shut down. Most of the academies were shut down, you know, similar here in Illinois. Um, we went through that. And um, like I said, I think we are finally looking out. We are we, we we actually see, you know, perhaps the end of it. So it's good times now.
1: Yeah. Are they open right now? The schools are open?
2: Yeah, I think. Yeah, majority of schools are open. The The ones that got through the hardest times they're open there are still limitations yeah you know I think depending on the facility depending on the organization um you know those will vary but you know staying safe is important at the same time you know it's it's hard on the small businesses in general yeah uh, being put in that situation where there are rules and, and and things you know that you can't control yet you you don't have the ability to make money and that's the only source of income that you have that's it's a difficult part for everybody.
1: Yeah, it's tough to see well established schools and some of them actually closing, closing, closing mm-hmm. business. And it hurts to see them so many years just down a drain like that. It's it is heartbreaking, man. And it's still gonna be a tough 2021. And but hopefully we see the next six months how they're gonna look like with this possibility of see how well it's going to be the distribution of the vaccine and so forth. But all we can do is hope for the best and be as safe as possible. So you, you're you originally from Poland, right? Yeah, I was, I was born in
2: Poland. Yes, I was born in Poland in the late 70s. And I, uh, I came to the U.S. As, as a teen with my father. Um, And and my, my life kind of changed direction at that point. But it's interesting to look back, you know, it's like you have a couple of those pivot points in your life where Mm -hmm. it has a a critical impact on what your future will hold. And sometimes that direction changes drastically, most of the time it's completely out of your control. You know, and, you know, obviously, being born in in Europe, and then migrating to United States, that's a big pivot point. Mm -hmm. Um, How old were you? Um, I came here in my early teens. I was 12.
1: Yeah. And no English or had a little no. bit? No.
2: So it's interesting because part of education in Poland, you need to have at least one or two foreign languages that you learn learn through um, elementary schools and, mm-hmm. and just a school system. So I was actually pretty versed in German, Russian, and English, but British English. And then once I came here to US, I felt like I didn't know English at all. Mm-hmm. Zero. Right. And 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 I I do recall essentially learning the language from the very beginning. It, that's what it felt like at least, you know, when you were a teen. So it was an interesting dynamic. I I, you know, I reflecting back on it, I I just simply think about it as learning brand new things. So it was it was uh it was interesting time. It was interesting time. At the same time, you know. My dad refused to um, cater towards the situation. He he put me in an English speaking environment from day one. Mm -hmm. I literally for first several years, I had almost nobody speaking my native language. So I was forced into a position where I had to learn. It was sink or swim. So within a year, I was communicating fairly well. And, you know, I, I had to repeat a couple classes because of the language barrier. Yeah. But outside of that, you know, it, it went fine. And um, it's, it, it was interesting, you know, reflecting back on it, you know, 20 some more, 30 years back. So, yeah, it was
1: interesting. And were you exposed to martial arts in Poland? No.
2: No, no. That's, uh, you know, that's another pivot point in my life where in um, around 2000, I was uh, dipping my toes into corporate America and I had one of my first jobs in technology. And so it happens that my boss was doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and he was a blue belt at that time. And I think what's important before we move further with that story is what was important to kind of keep in mind that my life at that time was so career focused that um physical activity let's just say wasn't on the horizon it was just not a priority in my life you know so there was a significant gain weight gain and and, and just you know it's it, it just it turned into something that i don't encourage anybody to deposition on nobody to be in you know and and my boss is good friend to this day um eric and 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 uh he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu now and and we we are really close, you know, he made this um, strategic approach, as he says, to, to convert me into jujitsu without me even knowing about it. So he kept poking me constantly. You know, we were at work in the office, and he kept talking about it. And um, over time, I just I kind of got sick and tired of it. And I said, fine, I'll just go. Just leave me alone. Stop talking about it. Stop annoying me. And we went we went, he introduced me and I stepped on the mat. And, and, you know, to this day, I tell my students that was a pivot point from that point. I was addicted to it. I, I, I I couldn't get away from it. And, you know, 20 plus years later, we,
1: here we are. And it was right away. It was a Carson Gracie senior school. Was, was Mm -hmm. he living there back then?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was in Chicago, Carson Gracie senior um, it was his academy. It was right in the city, or right north from the city. Um, and we went we went for the first time and I remember I walked into the academy. And keep in mind, I don't know what Jiu Jitsu is. I have yeah. no idea on any of this. I mean, Google didn't exist. Websites didn't exist, like none of this, right? and I walk in and there's this elderly gentleman sitting in the, you know, in the corner. And I, I don't think twice about him. I have no perception of who he is, what he does, you know, and I see a bunch of guys rolling on the mat, you know, and uh, you know, he, he stands up and he shakes my hand and come, come, come. And obviously he doesn't speak English well. And, and I, and I had no clue what's going on, but um, you know, the interesting story is that one of the first, um sparring sessions he pairs me up with miguel torres and um i was just had miguel on my podcast, and we were making fun of this whole thing but you know miguel is a blue belt i think at that point and miguel was um 130 pounds maybe you know and i am well over 200 um and i'm out of shape completely and You know, as, as we are being paired up, my first thing in my mind is like, I don't want to hurt this guy. I, you know, (laughs) well, what was I wrong? (laughs) So I, I do recall going to the locker room after the class and I had no idea what just happened to me, you know, but I was so puzzled with this whole situation that a smaller individual could be so skilled that he was doing whatever he wanted with me, despite the weight or, you know, the circumstances, um, that, uh, I, I just kept thinking but I need to come back like this this was the this was the pivot point where it's like I need to figure this out and by being engineer by trade I couldn't let go and and that's what kept me coming back and um within within a year or so I lost you know 50 plus pounds awesome. and 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 you know I got into uh, you know a reasonable healthy environment or healthy state of my body, you know, and from that point on that passion just continued on so. Those pivot points in your life were really changed the direction of you know where I am today and what i'm doing what I do and who I am and so on, so who knows where I would be if that didn't happen.
1: And for people who don't know, Miguel Torres was, was it the former WC champion? Mm-hmm. That was before yep. the UFC had that uh, weight class and he was yeah. he was one of the biggest names. I don't know, probably he was already fighting in MMA back then, right? Oh, uh, yeah, or I starting. think it was a
2: beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in the beginning. It wasn't WC, the, you know, it, there was a beginning stages, but he was very known uh, on the
1: smaller local, local scene, yeah, so. So what do you think was the, the biggest let's say shift that you notice after you know losing the weight and noticing the confidence what do you feel that was the biggest shift outside the mat that you got from jiu-jitsu you know
2: um that the biggest change before and after jujitsu was a lifestyle in general so mm-hmm. priorities priorities right and and i think this is is a great conversation to have with anybody often you hear individuals from different sides of the corner, different profession. And, and you hear the I hear the statement of, you know, I don't have time and, you know, long day is not long enough. I have this and this, this, this I have to do. And it really boils down at least in my view, especially looking in retrospect is not, you know, whether you have time, but what's more important to you. And that's a very different perspective. You know, at, at that time in my life, you know working out or having forget about working out but having you know a, a active lifestyle was just not a priority you know we if we have time sit in front of TV if we have time you know chit chat with friends if we have time do other things you know we do have time to do other you know go and work out or go to the jujitsu or or even go for a walk it's just the question is is it a priority for you and after the introduction of Jitsu and start training, especially after a year or two or three, where this physical activity becomes a daily routine, it's very difficult to even go back to your old habits. And then you begin thinking, you know, how in the world was I existing, you know, not doing what I do today? Um, so I think it's very difficult to change these habits. But once you do them, you appreciate them so much more um and, and i think again that was the biggest thing in my life my com- completely changing 180 degrees direction in the way how i was thinking the way how you know what i was doing obviously being healthy you know i, I it, it i make a joke of it often but you know i might have been dead by now i mean it, it's it, my life was not going the right direction and i was in my late teens so um you know that's the point of your life where you actually should be healthy the healthiest that you can be right so um yeah I, I think of it that way you know and obviously all that leads into your mental state and the way how you perceive jiu-jitsu in your real life you know we often say there's the same "jujitsu jitsu lifestyle and what does that mean really to you or to a student or to an instructor and often that pivots into even using the skills that you use on the mat off the mat right the way how you troubleshoot things the way how you look at it positions of positions of disadvantage the way how you lo- look at winning losing i mean that those things are huge huge in the real life because we encounter them on daily basis yeah you know
1: and of course the first 6 months of jiu jitsu can be extremely frustrating Right. Did you ever think about stopping, quitting and be like, man, I just don't get this thing. You know, did you have that feeling before? Um, the reason why I'm asking to um, my wife's finally training. Right. So she's been training for four months right now. And mm-hmm. then she's going through those first six months of like, I don't don't get it or like, you know, it's like i'm trying i'm learning the stuff i can't use it like well when someone's resisting things get a lot more complicated it's not that simple you know and did you have those thoughts at, uh, at any point
2: you know before i answer the question i think what's important to
1: identify
2: with that kind of conversation is that what students experience today is not the same True. what I experienced 20 years ago or you experienced where you were starting. True. You know, one, there is this whole social media aspect. Mm-hmm. Two, there is the video and just forget about video, but jujitsu accessibility factor. Everything is on our fingertips, everything is instant. Everything is it, it's just the stimulation, it's so large and surrounded by us. I don't know about you, but none of that existed for me. And I'm pretty sure that you were in the same boat. Mm. It, it, you know, I had a one book. That's all I had. And the book was 50 pages. I read it on day one. And then I read it again. And I read it again. <laughs> and I read it again. And, and again and again. It, because that's all we had. So now going to the point of these contention points or frustration points, you know, they were there clearly, I think, for everybody, especially for me. Did I want to quit? probably crossed my mind many times, what I, what I didn't have is the comparison factor to other people. So I couldn't go on social media and see, you know, Bobby Joe doing re- flying triangles or Baron bolos and other mm-hmm. fancy things. I didn't have any of this. All I knew is me and a couple of my partners. And then Carson Gracie, senior in my corner screaming at me to do better. So the environment was very, very different. Now, there's the other side of this whole thing, where I think today the environment is by far safer for a student. I think it's yeah. easier to get introduced to jujitsu with
1: an intro class. You can have an right. in- intro class nowadays. Right, right. I mean,
2: I tell you know, I tell my staff, my instructors, you know, there's three things that average beginner or be- first timer is. Is afraid of it's. They, they don't want to get hurt, they don't want to be wrong, and they don't want to be embarrassed. Those three things. If in on the, the first class, you can avoid those three, it's a win. It's a win right there, you know. And and none of that exists. And I, when I reflect on my first day, when I stepped on the mat, all three things happened. Well, I didn't get hurt, but m- maybe my my heart got hurt. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm, you know. But it, it it like I was definitely embarrassed. I was definitely wrong you know and it, the presentation was so much different at the same time i think these these situations 20 years ago put us in a situ- put us in the in a position of choice do you want to suck it up and do this mm-hmm. or are you going to quit and if you're going to quit quit right now matter of that i do remember had conversation one of my first weeks with one of the higher belts i believe black belt or brown belt You know, and they told me it's like, listen, if this is too hard for you, quit right now, don't waste your time. They told me flat out like you're never going to get to the black belt if if like it's just. It's so far out, you know, and I think reflecting back, I think all of these small events as they took place, you know, made me more stubborn about it. And so to answer to go back to your question, did I want to quit? Very likely those thoughts took cross my mind many times. But I think the surrounding and who I was with made me coming back, continue coming back, and and I continue stayed hungry, um, you know, through the first few years, because I think those are the most difficult ones.
1: For sure. And uh, Fabio Gurgel, the, the leader of Alliance, he talks about, I saw training in 1989, so of course, a completely different scenario back in Brazil was a lot of, you know, the rivalry, and there was all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? But he likes to call the people who still training to the stay still involved with jiu-jitsu, and the nine is the the survivors, you know what I mean? Because you go to your academy, it's just, just the survi- survivors will stay. There's Mm -hmm. no intro classes, just you put the gi, jump in, Mm -hmm. and the strong, you know, uh, will survive this type of deal, you know, you just go in, you battle, and then some people be like, man, so there was, like, no, you you just have to really grind, and then, like I said, that was the mentality, man, I think it's not for you, don't do it, and for the most part, um, today's completely different, different thing, you know, and the The interesting thing, too, is that you have the opportunity to train a Carson Gray senior that he brought uh, what he the only thing he knew back then. That's how we do things. And he brought Mm -hmm. that to to the United States. So I assume that was the same thing, like the hard training and, you know, the same deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, I
2: I recall it, you know, Stefan Bonner getting ready for UFC for Ultimate Fighter. You know, we didn't know what it was, but we like we were there with him and we were training we knew he was was getting for something but we didn't know what it was same thing with Miguel Torres and a handful others I'm like that was that Chicago camp if you will of Carson Gracie and he was getting these guys ready so I guess what I'm getting with this you know I was not an MMA fighter I had no desire to be a professional fighter at that time but we trained all in one room there was no advanced class there was no MMA class none of that no we were training with these guys right there and you know i often ask myself what do i offer to these guys mm-hmm. who are professionally fighting but you know th- that was carson's mentality everybody's contributing. you can do you can do a little bit but that is part of being part of that group but at the same time you had to be able to hang with those guys i don't you know it was it was it was tough
1: yeah and you had a you had a chance the opportunity to compete as well right yeah i competed quite a
2: bit you know up to Up to the brown belt, you know, I competed quite a bit, you know, and it's, I think it's competition is such a unique, unique platform for a lot of people, you know, especially today, you know, way back 20 years ago, again, competition wasn't so accessible, Mm -hmm. especially in the Midwest and Chicago area. I mean, I remember us driving four hours to Ohio, you know, to, to, to be part of a competition, you know, there was nothing local. And as I think as time went on. Um, the the competition scene kind of opened up and what it is today for the students who are actively competing. I mean, today you can compete outside of COVID, but you can compete essentially monthly basis if you want and within drivable distance. You know, I think these situations were slightly different on the West Coast in California and the East Coast in New York. I think jujitsu is a little bit more present or we used to be more present. Now things leveled out a little bit. So, you know, but I'm glad to see these events traveling throughout the country and giving everybody the opportunity because essentially the sport is growing i mean that's that that's a big part of it
1: and how was for you the decision of competing for the first time is that something you asked for or they introduced you to you saying like hey there'll be a tournament coming up do you remember you know i remember it was part of the culture
0: Mm -hmm. you
2: know it it was kind of part of what Carson Gracie did, and, and and I don't think he ever asked us to compete, it was kind of more expected to be mm-hmm. done, you know, so um, I, I do remember, um, I actually have a funny story on this, I remember one of my first tournaments, and I was a white belt. And um, we were at this, you know, big venue and is end of the day. Um, and it's mostly vacant out. People left already and this handful. I mean, some people left, right? And I it's one of my later matches in a bracket, you know? And as I'm passing the guard, I get caught in a triangle choke. And and I remember it was silence. As everything just went silent, you know? And then I hear Carson Gracie screaming like across the whole arena. <laughs> And I looked up and I see him. He's like four or five mats away from me, and he's screaming, "Whoa, whoa!" You know. And somehow, I, you know, I got out of that triangle and I passed to the tent th- and I and I was fortunate enough to, to win that match. But I remember him coming up to me later and say, "Good job, good job." And and he just walked away. That's all he said, you know. And and I remember to this day that's stuck in my head. That little that little encouragement point,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: across the room, across several mats away, you know, he, I knew he looked at me, he saw it. That's all you needed. So, um, it, it was a big,
1: big, um, you know, big memory to this day. And talking about memories, it's, uh, it's tough because he, as you mentioned, his English wasn't really there. So it's tough for you to like, you get to like get full conversation, but what do you feel that it's something like, even without saying anything, lessons that you believe that you got from him, just from his presence, the way that he was running things? What do you think?
2: Well, so first he had a couple right-hand guys, if you will, that translated often, mm-hmm. you know, but even if they were not there, I mean, listen, Carson Gracie style 20 years ago, and I'm pretty sure that most of the guys who were in the room back then will agree with this. we... We learned 20 techniques and we repeated them 20,000 times. That's how it was. Carson Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was pretty simple. Mm -hmm. It was open the guard, smash the guy, get on top and choke him. Like there there was really no finesse behind it. It, it. It was plowing right through it, you know, but you bet that we did those techniques thousands of times over and over and over. And, And his mentality always was if you can get out from underneath the biggest guy in the room you'll get out from underneath everybody you know so again we i don't think we can do this today Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the students you know the Mm -hmm. mentality and approach was very different but the language barrier wasn't so present because we knew the routine and he was very hands-on to be honest very animated you know very verbal and and Like, you knew when he was satisfied with what was going on or if he started yelling at everybody, then (laughs) we knew something was wrong, even though it was in Portuguese and nobody understood what he was saying, you know? So, But I think all that created a dynamic of of what jiu-jitsu was at that time. You know, I think for students starting today and walking into... English-speaking environments today, it it, it might be difficult to even wrap the head around or wrap your thoughts around the environment, but that's just how it was. You went to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, taught by a Brazilian who did not speak English. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was it. And Carson Gracie was one out of, I think, three Jiu-Jitsu academies, three or four, in like miles. I mean, whole land area this is not like today where you can drive 20 minutes and you 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 there was an academy no it was
1: three period so very yeah. different world for sure people were really blessed to have him there for people who are listening we have a lot of um, new practitioners per se don't know much about the the history of jiu-jitsu but as far as competition goes uh, carson gracie had the main jiu jitsu team in brazil compete in the mm-hmm. 80s up to like mid 90s and then basically around the time that he started transitioning to to the united states but especially in the 80s and the mid 90s they dominate competitions and they were like the main team and then they were like uh, win most of the divisions that was the place. So be able to have, you know, and it's funny that he you're in, you know, training with like the number one, basically like was the number one competition team in Brazil for many, many, many years, you know, and it's just interesting, like you're right there, but like so blessed and lucky to be in in that room. You know what I mean? Oh
2: no, absolutely. It is, you know, and I think what's interesting about all of this that I don't think we really knew what we were part of Mm -hmm. back then. I believe, you know, it's after Carlson passed away years went by and now looking back, you know, all of the guys or most of the guys who were in that room training now are obviously black belts. Now most of them have their own academies, you know, it is, it's kind of, it created a footprint, at least here in Midwest around Chicago. So um, it, 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 we, we were lucky, in my opinion. And, and um, I often look back at, you know, at, at those times and, and reflect in a very positive way. You know, it, 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 I was fortunate enough to be at the right place at the right time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, otherwise, you know, life would be different.
1: And what sparked you? the interest? When was the moment that you started sparking the interest of one day becoming an instructor, the possibility of teaching?
2: Yeah, you know, I think somewhere around towards the black belt, or after I got my black belt, and, and I don't have there was not a pivot point on that aspect. I think once others still look up to you. And once they start, you know, asking you questions and seek the leadership, you know, you, you you either become the leader or you kind of step back to the side. And And, you know, I don't think that I wanted to teach per se, or be an instructor or have an academy at that time, but things start folding that way. And, you know, as my passion continued, I saw that as opportunity. So I always loved helping other students and getting them better. And so it happened that you just put in these situations, you know, and then, you know, as my corporate life kept unfolding and and turning into, you know, a successful route, you know, at some point, you know, you see this as a skill that you have, plus there is an opportunity You know, I mean, we listen, we all need to make money. I mean, that's the reality of life, especially in this country. Like we have to, there has to be a, everybody needs to work. I mean, not everybody is fortunate enough not to be able to work or not not have to work, right? So at some point, this turned into an opportunity. You know, I have the skill, guys like what I do, you know, what if, you know, how can we make this work? And I think that's where the seed is planted you know and 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 you work about it you know so and you work towards that goal and try to figure out if that makes sense you know some take the leap and some don't and that's fine too there's nothing wrong with not not teaching
1: so you started teaching while i was still in a corporate world right and then eventually you made the the full transition so how was that beginning of doing both
2: that was a grind
1: man that was a
2: grind i mean um you know what what the corporate world gave me is the business aspect and
1: and, um, and by the way what did you what were you working with per se in the corporate? so world? i
2: was in technology technology management so i um i was uh, i led a team of engineers and we we built uh, different infrastructure things like software and hardware and things of that nature. I worked for large corporations, essentially taking care of their computer systems, if you will, speaking a simple language. But all that taught me a skill of running a team, hmm. um, being involved in technology, you know, obviously things like budgeting and making sure that there's enough money to do projects that you need to do. All these little things. Um Put me in a position of having a skill set, a developer skill set, which later, now in today's world, are necessary to run a successful business. So, um, you know, I often, I often say it was, it was a blessing, but it was a curse at the same time, because you now you have this skill where you know what it takes to be successful, and you know you th- there is a risk that you have to take anytime you open any type of business. You know, you have to make an investment, and you have to find these things, and you locking self, locking yourself in the you know x period of time where you have to regain the investment, and so on. I mean, this is all business, business aspect of it. But now somebody has to teach these classes. Well, who's it going to teach? No, it has to be me. So now you are a one man show who has to do everything. You know, mm-hmm. and knowing that from the very beginning, you know that you cannot do everything. I think it's one of the big leadership points that everybody in that situation has to understand you can't stretch yourself to 24 hours a day there's impossible right so finding people who support you finding people who can contribute finding people who will you know follow you and and be part of this experience it was critical to that point so to the start of this whole venture so it, it took it took us it took me years of. Thinking, preparing, and just even getting mentally ready for the that's point what I was of, gonna
1: ask too. Right? Because the,
2: the physical aspect of it, I mean, getting all these tangible things in line, I think that's the easy part. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can always get a loan, you can find a building, you can buy the mats, you can you know create a schedule, and somebody's gonna teach, but being mentally prepared, where you still bring your paycheck home. And then you're starting this venture that might or might not work. And you start grinding it. So I recall very well, leaving my house at 6am to go to work and not coming back until 11pm. Um, until my classes were done. And then doing it all over again next day, six days a week. And I remember some days I hit off. But that was the only day that I could. And then most of the time, some days like you want to sleep because like you're you're literally grinding and you sleep four or five hours a day, you know? And so that that went on for a couple of years, you know, that went on. And, and deeper it got, you would think, or longer you are running this academy while you teach, while you're working a normal job, you would think things would get easier. And, and now looking in retrospect, I think they got more complicated because you have more students you yeah. you start growing now this business is 2 years old right it, it, now you have to think about these things what's going to happen next like you can't continue this grind forever i mean I, I mean maybe when you're young but i mean i i'm not that young i don't find myself that young i you know i'm thinking about retirement more than grinding it like you know what i mean so you have to think about these things um long term you know and, and at some point at some point, that question came along: Is well, what are we gonna do now? What, this is the point where we have to start making decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, this business is making money now; it's stable, but you have this other job that's bringing the money. If you cut the other job, this business is not making enough to to substitute it. What, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna work this? You know, and ultimately, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of instructors out there. There's a lot of academy owners out there. You know, and I always Um, I'm always happy to share this story, you know, my story, how I went through this, you know, and if I can offer any help to anybody, I'm more than happy to do it. Because ultimately, always kind of boils down to business decisions and um, it is, I think, unfortunate that being a good instructor doesn't always translates into a successful Academy owner. True you know, so teaching and running business is two different things, you know, and I don't find myself some huge entrepreneur or some great, you know, guy who knows everything, but I think a little plan and good execution will take you really far. Yeah. And how
1: was the mindset when you pull the trigger and be like, you know what, this is the time I'm going to all in. Of course, I always talk about this in the podcast too, that It's a moment that brings a lot of anxiety and fear of the uncertainty of what's going to happen. I'm leaving the safety here of the paycheck. So how was for you during that time? Mentally. Oh, yeah.
2: So I'm a planner. I'm a planner. I, I plan everything. Everything is done by design. You know, nothing is accidental. And this wasn't any different. So what I did or what we did is at some point we said, um, so there's two factors behind all of this, right? It's the business factor where you're dealing with people that work for you or with you. And then there's a family factor, which it's it, it kind of a collateral damage, if you will, if things go wrong, right? Wow. So that they will feel the impact. So there's these two conversations, two dynamics that are taking place at the same time, you know? Um, and so at home, we start we start assuming that in six months, I'm going to flip. I'm going to leave the corporate life and turn into a full-time business. Um, And at that point, we start very carefully calculating what would happen if the corporate income would go away, right? Mm -hmm. So that gave us a six months of playing, getting comfortable with that situation, right? And um, then on the business side, we are saying, well, now what's going to happen, we are going completely independent. There's no safety net because there's there's a safety net on a business side too. If you have a separate income coming in, you know that if things would go well, like th- that codependency exists, you know. But so on the business side, you know, we start saying, well, listen – we no longer has to have the safety net anymore, right? I'm not making the real job. This has to be 100% independent. Mm-hmm. sole existence, you know, and it, there, there's no, there's no support network at that point, you know, and we established a date and the date was established with my wife, with everybody's agreeing. And I remember she makes fun of me actually, to this day, because what I did is I took sticky notes. And I said, um, uh, I put two sticky notes on my my mirror in the bathroom. And one said, new start. And the other one, start counting down the days. I Mm. literally pull out the calendar, count how many days. And each day, I put a new sticky note with a one number less than the day before. And as stupid as that was, every time me or my wife walked into the bathroom, we saw the number and we said, it's It's (laughs) counting down. It's, it's good, yeah. bad, doesn't matter. It's coming. It's coming. You're mentally getting yourself ready. I think that anxiety is surrounding this whole thing. Eliminated. Well, this, this whole thing eliminated the su- fact, su- fact of a surprise. The anxiety went down. We felt that we're getting ready. And honestly, it was like a reality check. It was like, oh, there's 30 days. In 30 days, that's it. This is it. Yeah. You know, and, and it allowed you to kind of prepare yourself. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's essentially what it is. You know, I mean, don't take me wrong. That was a stressful dive. That was a stressful yeah. time. So, you know, and then you're getting into you know other things like your corporate my corporate life where I had to resign, you know, my team heavily leans on me, my bosses lean on me, you know. I'm part of a strategy that my position is incorporated in, you know, and like you have to depart. And not like the corporation is going to fall apart, mm-hmm. but you there's anxiety on my part like i'm leaving this team and i'm not leaving because i don't like it i actually Mm. like it i'm leaving because there's something else i want to do so that was one of the most difficult conversations i had with my boss but how
1: did he take
2: um well he didn't want to let me go (laughs) (laughs) he didn't want to let me go but um you know he understood why we still occasionally talk you know, to this day, um, a great, one of the great leaders that I've ever had, you know, to look up to. Um, so he understood why this was happening. And, you know, it is what it is. You know, I, got I, you. I often say you can't stop people from doing what they oh, want. Yeah. You oh. can't. Absolutely. You, you, can be, you can be bitter about it, or you can support them as one or the other. So.
1: So besides COVID, what do you feel that some of the struggles that you went through some of the things that maybe you didn't expect running the business running the school what's some of the the things that you you kind of look back and maybe of course maybe you would handle a different way but you just didn't know so what comes to your mind you know some of the um
2: the obvious ones I think it's we deal with people you know um I think that's the difficult part behind Behind being an instructor, being a business owner in a service industry, you know, you you deal with people, you know, and um, the big epiphany that I had sometimes years into being um, an academy owner is that you can't please everybody. Yeah. You, you you can't cater towards every single person that walks in the door. There will be people who will not like what you do. There will be people who um, might like it, but they find something else somewhere else. And it is very difficult, I think, for instructors in general to let that go, especially that we develop these relationships on the mat. I mean, I think, you know, I'm curious what you think about this, but I I think jiu-jitsu is one of the most intimate sport that can be. We are so close to each other. We put ourselves in these vulnerable situations. And, you know, we put our lives in somebody's hands. I mean, ultimately, right? So as as all is unfolding, we develop relationships. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, there are departures. It is what it is. It's part of every academy. Um, And, you know, I think sometimes it's difficult to let it go.
1: Yeah, for sure. But this is with any relationship and no relationship will Mm -hmm. last forever because we won't be here forever so it it doesn't matter but there's one point that yes you know uh, it's not going to work and Mm -hmm. so be it life goes on you know i don't know if you're familiar with simon sinek um Mm -hmm. but he had
2: he had this great great quote i think it was him um where he said people come into your life for a reason." For a season or for a lifetime, and each of those is very different. Each of those has a different purpose. The sooner you understand why somebody is in your life, it will make it much easier for you to develop that relationship. That's now, cool. if you miscalculate that, you're going to be nothing but disappointed. So um, I always keep that in mind um, as one of the one of the quotes that you know I often surfaces
1: you know as the conversations go on Right. On. and are you into you you mentioned simon sinek are you into books and so forth like personal development and stuff like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. yeah i read a lot
2: i read quite a bit actually i i love um i i love non-fiction and it doesn't have to be personal development but it, you know um life stories um you know my i see a nice library right behind you i got mine right next to me mm-hmm. i got a second one right in the academy too so um, yeah i i read on various topics you know anything nonfiction, um I- anything that i can see different people's per- perspective so yeah
1: yeah and what about podcasts you know what uh do you listen to podcasts yeah
2: i listen my 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 variety of podcasts is, is is like music you know depending on the day and depending what i'm looking for but you know often i'm being asked what's your favorite podcast and i i, I often look at it as what's the guest or the topic. So I I have probably a 20 that I circle through. And I don't listen to every episode. But I do pick strategically the topics that I'm really, really interested in. And, you know, anything, anything business related, anything, um, entrepreneur, or um, just development of leadership, you know, that those are big anchor points for me. So
1: yeah, since I like audiobooks, I don't listen to podcasts. You I, I think at some point I listen more, but since I like I like to listen to audiobooks, so I seem you know, find myself listen more to books than than podcasts. But I feel the Joe Rogan is the one that I get to listen more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go through waves too. That I go sometimes. I just click one of his interviews or someone that I have no idea and i just finished this week i actually listened to episodes one with um uh was um, uh um the olympic uh gold medalist wrestler uh is that is that J- uh is that jerry jared no uh burroughs i don't know if it's jared i can i can't remember but is he won the i think the olympic uh, gold medal in 2012. Mm-hmm. so that was a cool one and I just listened to. Have you watched the documentary Icarus? No. About no man. And this is for everyone who is I listening. It it's on Netflix. That's probably one of the most shocking documentaries that I've ever watched. Is about the doping scandal from the Russians and the Olympic. Oh yes, end. yes, Dude. I did see that. Yes, I did see that. That thing. That was mind blowing. Yeah,
2: that was my. That was about the witness who went to witness yeah, protection the whistleblower.
1: Yeah. yeah so if you have a chance that dude just went to joe rogan like in less than two weeks ago so to keep you know, like an update and everything what's going on it's uh, apparently 700 million people have watched that, that documentary worldwide you know that's crazy i mean it, that was mind-blowing dude i was watching because it, it's funny because it starts kind of slow you know so i was watching mm-hmm. i was at night i was kind of almost like falling asleep and suddenly like, what would you say <laughs> and and I'm like, does this dude know that it's being recorded? And I'm like, dude, it yeah. was so for people who didn't have a chance, man, go watch it because it's mind blowing. Yeah, even just like the, I'm not going to really reveal the details, but
2: like the amount of details that he was sharing oh, about yeah. how they traded these things,
1: rooms next door, and all. Yeah. It's like a and movie. It's, uh, it's, it's script. crazy. Yeah. It is it was a crazy movie script. And He has a new documentary out, more like to the political aspect of it, Mm -hmm. Uh, not not um, not related to sports or anything like that. But I'm going to watch it this weekend because he talked a lot about it. And it seems I think seems to be the route that he's going to documentary like really like mind blowing topics that he's trying to get it out there, you know, see if make a difference in the world in some way so it's so delicate the topic that no company wanted netflix didn't want anything to deal with as far as like to publishing and stuff like that or so it's so anyways i'm gonna watch it this weekend it must take a lot of
2: courage oh yeah to open up yeah about things like this i
1: mean I'm pretty sure that his life is on the line. Yeah, right? I don't I don't I don't think he should ever go to Russia but anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. And the guy, I mean, the guy Gregory, that's the guy yeah. the whistleblower. He he yeah. lives in the United States with a witness protection program. And he has not seen his family in like in four years. Yeah. You know, and I mean, who knows if you will ever be able to see it, and then but he talks in an interview too how amazing he's still grateful they said it, like he is alive because yes they do want to kill him, yeah you know yeah, and crazy. it's it's a crazy story man but yeah i'm um i like that's what i don't watch a lot of movies but i like i like documentaries for some reason i like movies based on true story even if they twist you know the whole thing you know get I'm, I'm, like, the feeling that you know something yeah. close to that happened so <laughs> but but i like i like that now, uh, what about habits, man? What kind of habits you, you, you develop over the years that you, you do nowadays, besides reading, mm-hmm. um, any habits that you feel that, that, that helped you in, in everything in your life, in your personal professional, um,
2: you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, you know, I'm very task driven. I'm very mm-hmm. process driven. So and you ask my staff at the academy and they, they, they are sick of me, but it's it, everything is structured. Everything is planned out. I'm a big planner. Um, you know, I, I, I have a general view on life that there will be always things out of your control. Always, Mm -hmm. every single day, something will come from the left, you will not see it, it's coming, you have to react. But there's all the other things that you can control, all the other things that you can plan. You know, so every morning as I wake up, and I have my coffee, and I get to the academy, and I begin my day, whatever the schedule is, you know, I always look at my whatever, look at the agenda and I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach them many hours. And this is, this is, these are the meetings they have to be part of. And, you know, I try to plan things ahead, you know, and it it really over, over the years, over time, what I discovered that, that is not that it's not that it's planned, what helps me, but what helps me is I know what amount of time I have left, you know, and that often, creates opportunities to do things that I want to do that are not you know they're fun you know if that's hanging out at home going in to 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 the academy a little bit later or you know doing things you you know it, it gives you a little bit more structure and stability if you will so um that was one of the big things that over over time we developed and you essentially minimize these surprises in life and i hey i mean we talk about surprises right i mean 2020 is one one big surprise right nobody saw this coming i don't know about you but like i remember reading about covid you know when it was way back you know outside of us right in asia and and i was like this is never gonna happen there's no
0: way
1: this is gonna happen (laughs) boom like two weeks later yeah yeah and it's here yeah, it's pretty yeah. wild. So, if you have to give advice to the young white belt, Thomas, when you start training, you still have a lot of white belts listening mm-hmm. to this too. When you try to look back into some of that stuff, you know, that you went through learning and training, of course, completely different, you know, uh, than what it is nowadays, like we talked earlier. Mm-hmm. What advice should you give to, to your younger self as a white belt?
2: Listen, you. I think often we hear statements like jiu-jitsu is for everybody. You know, jiu-jitsu will simplify jiu-jitsu. Everybody should try it. You know, and, and I agree with most of it, but I think what's important to identify that jiu-jitsu is complex. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I don't, and I think there it's often misunderstood with difficult, You know, I I don't think jujitsu is difficult. It's complex. I think anybody should try jujitsu. I don't think jujitsu is for everybody, Mm -hmm. but everybody should try it. Now, if there's so many factors when you start jujitsu, you know, it is the factor of you will be proven wrong. I'm sorry if I'm bursting the bubble for some listeners right now, but you will be proven wrong. You will be in situations where you won't have escapes. You, there will be things that will be completely out of your control. You're going to feel powerless. Now, is there a reason that you should quit or go in a different direction? Well, maybe. That, that That's a personal decision for everybody. But before you make that decision, I would really encourage you to just think about this, why you feel this way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's this saying in jujitsu, um, get comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And the moment I think you accomplish that pivot point, things change drastically. The opportunities open up. Things don't necessarily get easier, but you see the resolutions that you can work towards. And this is what I refer to by the complexity of Jiu-Jitsu. We can have a very simple position and we can make the same position so complicated. Mm -hmm. You know, so... um, I would, if there was one thing I would tell a brand new um, individual who is venturing into a jiu-jitsu journey, I would tell them, keep your mind open. It will be complex. This will be complex. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it is so worth it, in my opinion. In my personal life, jiu-jitsu changed the way how I think on a daily basis, allows me to troubleshoot things even the the way how i have conversations with people you know sometimes we find ourselves in this in these positions where we don't agree with other people and and we want to you know we we get into these exchanges um you know and, and i think jujitsu gives you the ab- ability to or the skill to troubleshoot these situations
1: kind of pro- uh, like a problem solving like yeah yeah
2: well, yeah, I mean, jujitsu is nothing but constant troubleshooting. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell my students often, jujitsu is not cookie cutter. If you want a recipe from me and I'm going to give you 10 steps for you to resolve the problem, I'm going to give you my steps, not your steps. You're going to take my steps, apply it to your situation, very likely you will fail. What you have to do is understand what is happening understand how you solve the problem and develop the steps in between that serve your purpose mm-hmm. now you know that that that's what is complicated you know I, I think back in the day um you know 20 years ago when i was starting teaching jujitsu was very different than it is today and it's simply because jujitsu evolved exactly. is just evolved so much You know,
1: today is different. I think it's a lot more, a lot more systematic. There's no doubt about it. When I look back into, like as I mentioned, late '80s, early '90s, when I start um, training and competing, I mean, there's no flow grappling to see what's going on. (laughs) There's no BJJ fanatics or whatever or YouTube. You know to show all the stuff and it's uh it's interesting like um i saw t- um something about um, roberto Correa gordo he's the one that kind of like helped to develop a more aggressive style of half guard because back then half guard in the late in the 80s and early 90s more like you just push people away and then try to get back you know it's not a, a good thing to be there You know, so when he started actually using because he had a knee injury, I believe, and then he started Mm -hmm. to uh, play and then do that. So by the time he did a a sweep in a tournament, people like, wow, did you see that? So now when he comes to the next tournament, people are like, oh, yeah, we have the counter. But he already worked on someone already work on the counter at the school. So he already have the counter, the counter. And then they come with a counter. He come with another one. And that's the is a cool Evolution, you see people playing. I love uh one of the guys that uh I mean sometimes I see how I'm old when I see some of the competitors and people <laughs> say like they never heard of him. Um Roberto Magalhães, Roleta, which was one of the favorite guys that uh, that uh from Gracie Baja that I love watching. He's the one that um his four-time world champion, and then he's the one that actually put like playing inverted like in in the scene, he was definitely the first guy that start inverting. And then people were very confused about like, what is that? So when he, some guy just pop up in a tournament and does a inverted like sweep or whatever, people like, what was that? And then there's no flow grappling highlight little clip on Instagram for you to watch over and over again. (laughs) I remember uh, this was in 1996 and I was at, at the school trying to figure it out with some of my friends, what he was doing, you know? And now you see the craziness of inversion. I actually I had an opportunity to interview him on my, por- my podcast in Portuguese. And he said that he would have dreams and then he would write things down. And that's how a lot of the stuff, sometimes he would have dreams and then he would write things down. And and back then when he was a purple belt, that's when he started playing around with it. But back then was like people were like, who showed you that? Like, no, no one showed me that. I'm just being trying. And then people were like, oh, now just shut him down right away. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. back then, like a purple belt, trying to come up with a move. Like, come on now. I mean, you see like, man, blue belts doing incredible things, developing new variations or whatever. You know, so it's really cool to see. Isn't it interesting how jiu-jitsu goes through these evolutions of, and, yeah. and, and you get, you can find these
2: milestones all throughout the last mm-hmm. few decades. Like mm-hmm. you have half guard, you mentioned spider guard was another one, mm-hmm. big one. Nobody knew. Whoa, whoa, what, what is this? What do you mean? What do you mean his feet are on your, on your biceps? Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, and you know, half guard and then inverted all the Baron Bolo stuff. I mean, that was for first period of time, the beginning of the time, nobody knew how to deal with this. They, what yeah. do you mean you're, they're going to go upside down? You know, um, it, it goes through these evolutions, but I think that's what makes it beautiful. Yeah. Because not only allows these young guys and the competition guys to have a creativity of development, but also honestly keeps old dudes like us in check because mm-hmm. we, it's like, it stimulates my mind. You know, my students come to me and they show me in, I have to really sometimes look it up and see what is going on. It's, you know, some of these things that are brand new and, you know, but again, YouTube is here. Yeah. appling Flow is here. None of it was there 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, it is pretty crazy. So we're getting close to the end of the interview. So let me know what you're excited about, what's going on. Tell us about the podcast. Um. How long you've been doing? And yeah, just let us know more about it. Where you can find? Yeah, so So we, you know, this COVID
2: thing I think puts us in the situations where we have to be really creative, especially during the time when the academy was closed. And obviously, you know, I was looking to keep my staff busy, and and I wanted to be busy. I didn't want to just sit and do nothing. Well, we couldn't teach, we couldn't train. Um, so we started a podcast, and and we call it Raw Radio. Um, and you know, I think what is interesting about the podcast is that we focus on the untold story of jiu-jitsu. So we talk to different individuals, we talk to black belts uh, mostly, but not always. Judo, Jujitsu, and and we have some Olympians and other other big names on there. You know, they we, we essentially want to know how they started Jujitsu, what what, what 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 went, how was their journey. And it's so interesting because some of them, it's complete coincidences. Mm -hmm. There are stories, you know, where they ordered, they want to do Taekwondo. They ordered a wrong gi, Jiu-Jitsu gi came in and they started (laughs) Jiu-Jitsu. And then 10 years later, they are world champions. Or we had Travis Stevens recently, and and he talks about he wanted to sign up for football. And he signed up for football, but no, he signed up for judo. And he starts doing judo and then... You know, a couple of decades later, he's he's Olympic medalist. I mean, it's mind-blowing how these stories develop, how these lives develop, you know. So we sit down in a similar fashion as you do, and we talk to these guys and in a very casual but so informative um format to learn these stories. And listen, every story has a lesson, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think if You know, guys who listen to to our show can take one thing away and apply it in their life. They just improved. They just improved. They just got better. And it's all about getting better. End of the day. Right.
1: Yeah. So where they can find basically all the main platforms all the main platforms everywhere, all or wherever podcasts
2: are, the role radio is there. YouTube role radio is there. And obviously we have our website, the You can find everything there. So, um, tune in. It's, it's some interesting conversations.
1: Awesome. Thomas, thank you so much for the conversation. I enjoy it very much. Hopefully soon with this craziness, Going, going around. Maybe we see each other in a tournament, or if somewhere, if I'm anywhere close to Chicago, and you can have a personal conversation. But yes, man, I appreciate your interview. Thank you for thank you for having me. Yes, sir. And everyone, stay tuned. We'll be getting back. I took a little break from uh, some of the interviews, so the plan is to getting back in. We'll have over a hundred episodes, and the plan is to I'm not gonna maybe be like every Sunday like I used to put. I'll put it here you know like sometimes two in a week, one in a week sometimes every other week but we'll keep putting some content out. So you guys stay safe. See you guys soon.